Welcome to the Dead and Married Podcast. Hi, hi, hi there, my little droogies, and welcome to the very first episode of the Dead and Married Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we will be discussing the 1987 sci-fi action horror flick, Predator. This film is directed by John McTiernan, written by Jim and John Thomas, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura, among others. This movie is rated 7.8 out of 10 stars on IMDb and has a Metascore of 45. Some of the user reviews on IMDb, one rates it a 10 out of 10. It's called A Masterpiece, the best action sci-fi classic film of all time by my number one personal favorite. Another 10 of 10, Pushing Too Many Pencils, best film ever. 9 out of 10, very, very tense and murderously suspenseful. And this one calls it the quintessential action movie. One of my favorite films of all time. So Travis, what do you think about Predator? I think it's a good movie. Um, it It's not going to be my favorite. I'm not going to list it up there as like top five material, maybe top ten. It's uh, it's definitely one that I, you know, I'm going to watch it when it comes on. If I see it on TV, if I find it on Netflix or something like that, I'll definitely watch it. Put the phone down, pay attention, listen for the one-liners that I, that I like so much. Um, but other than that, I just think it's a really good, solid movie. It's worth a watch. Well, this is probably my number one movie of all time. I don't think that you could, it's possible to say that there's a perfect movie, but in my eyes, it is. I first saw it when I was about 11, 12 years old, have very fond memories of watching it, being terrified, being excited, just being overall just completely enamored by it. Now, Predator has a very small, kind of tight-knit cast. Um, One of the things that I love about this movie is the sense of camaraderie, the sense of loyalty and friendship. Like, you get the sense that these guys have been together for years over across many missions, and some of them, you get the idea that maybe they hung out outside of battle. You know what I mean? Uh, Like they, it's so well acted that you get the impression that these guys have really done this in real life. Like they picked real soldiers off the street. I think that's how well it's acted, but it's what, six main cast members on our team? So you've got seven. Um, I think there's like nine people on the credits, Um, but there's really just seven main characters that you you get to spend some time with. Um, And I did a little bit of research on some of them and you're absolutely right about the way they interact with one another. So uh, start with Poncho is played by Richard Chavez talking about military service. Richard joined the military in 1970, served in Vietnam with the 196th Infantry Brigade. Jesse Ventura, who plays Blaine, was also in the military. He was a member of the underwater demolition team, and he served with, but was not a member of, the Navy SEALs during Vietnam. And then you've got Sonny Landham, who plays Billy, who is also a three-year Army veteran. So I believe it's possible that maybe they did select some of these actors for previous military experience, and I think that they probably brought that mentality to the roles that they played to give the movie a little more credibility. It made it more believable because they reacted the way you would expect people to react potentially in a situation like that. Definitely comfortable around military gear, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I completely agree with that. They, like I said, they they all seem like, you know, they just fit right in, like they knew what to do. I mean, like, you know, there's some actions you perform as a human that are as easy as breathing and these guys give the impression that yeah, they had that kind of uh, experience so I don't know if that's just a testing to their acting ability or if that experience was just incredibly helpful in their respective roles. I can't imagine that it that it was to their detriment. Having that experience make it feel a lot more natural on screen. But of course, I can't leave out Apollo Creed. So Carl Weathers, he plays Dylan and he's just he's an all-around great guy away from the big screen. Um, most 
A lot of people don't know, he actually played professional football for the Oakland Raiders. I didn't know that. He's currently assisting the United States military with simulated uh, Iraqi villages at Fort Irwin, California, and he's directed and narrated at least one training video about the individual first aid kit. That's crazy. Who would have thought, right? (laughs) I didn't. Another fun fact, and this one I definitely believe, he was inducted into the International Mustache Hall of Fame in 2016 in the category of film and television. Oh, without question, best mustache. (laughs) Now, without further ado... Let's jump right into the story. And now it's time for your obligatory spoiler warning. We don't just spoil movies here, they are spoiled rotten. So listen at your own risk or turn back now. All right, folks, so you've been warned. Let's get right into the movie. Um, So it opens with a spaceship, right? It opens in space. You see a spaceship approaching Earth. And then it, as it angles away, it drops a pod. Now I've got a couple of big issues with this. What do you think about it? Well, I stated before that in my opinion, this movie is perfect. That being said, it's not without the tiniest of nitpicks. And one of mine is this opening shot. I don't believe it needs to be there. I think that if you left it ambiguous, you know, you just have these soldiers going on this rescue mission and you don't know what is hunting them. You know, it just unfolds and unfolds and unfolds. I think that that would would have made for a stronger narrative than giving us this kind of spoiler right on the front end of things. Yeah, I can see that. I think my biggest problem with it is where did the spaceship go? Was he planning on going back or was this just like he caught an Uber to Earth and it just dropped him (laughs) off? Okay, and if it was his ship, you know, when he's getting murdered down there by Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end... Why didn't he call for help? Where did they go? Did they just kick him out and be like, sorry for your bad luck guy, you're on Earth? Well, if you're as into the lore as this nerd is here, then I would just assume that the spaceship is going back to Yautja Prime, which is their home planet. Now, that's not information that's made known to the masses. You have to do your homework on the lore and stuff, which I have. The Predator is actually called the Yautja. Uh, there's actually other names that it goes by, but that's that one being primarily what it what it's known as. You know, is the Xenomorph from the Alien franchise. That's what it's known as. But I just assume that that ship goes back to its home planet. I don't know, to carry on other Predator business. <laughs> I'm not sure. I could see that. I could... Yeah, okay, maybe. But one more question. So at the end, and again, spoilers, you've been warned. What happened to the pod? At the end of the movie, he self-destructs himself. Where did the pod go? That's an excellent question, and I hadn't given any thought. Because we didn't we didn't get established that other lore where they had ways of hiding their evidence from the public until much, much later in the god-awful Alien versus Predator movies. Yeah. And so in in Predator 2, not that that's when we're talking about it, well, I'm sure we'll get around to it eventually, but oh, yeah. he's got a ship. That Predator has a legit ship. And you know it's not the same one, because obviously this one dies. And let's be honest, Danny Glover's too old for that shit, <laughs> so if he can find it, why couldn't Arnold find the pod? Where's the pod? I Plot hole, I guess. Alright, so enough about space. So, once we get past all that unnecessary stuff... We're on a helicopter. You see a helicopter. It's flying over the water, lands on the beach. And this is where you get to see our our characters that we love so much finally getting out. Um, You get to see who's in the movie. Let's be honest, the only one that I care about is Jesse Ventura. But that's beside the point. (laughs) He's the high point of this movie for me. 
Well, I don't know. There's a really cool establishing shot of Arnold sitting in kind of shadows, puffing at his cigar, and you're just like, okay, I see you, Arnold. You're you're the badass of this movie. <laughs> so, another thing, because I film nerded about this just a little bit, is that anytime you see him smoking a cigar in a helicopter, when it shows the, the cherry glowing on the cigar, uh-huh. that's an electronic effect. I can't really? say digital because there wasn't really digital then. True. But he was not allowed to actually smoke. Imagine that they don't want fire inside a helicopter. Was not allowed <laughs> to smoke the cigar in the helicopter, and they had to add that after the fact. Well, I can see that now, but thinking back to the 80s where it was just kind of an anything-goes-style filmmaking... You know, that's kind of strange. You'd think they'd be like, safety? <laughs> exactly. Who gives a shit? Light that cigar. <laughs> Smoking, whatever. Give it's me that cancer. It's just jet fuel. You're fine. <laughs> exactly. So once our rough and tumble tag team of soldiers exit the helicopter to a, I guess, military base, Arnold, or sorry, the character of Alan Dutch Schaefer, played by Arnold, meets with General Phillips. And they're getting a rundown of this mission that they've been asked to do because apparently they're the best of the best of the best. And Arnold's like, well, what do you need us for? And you hear somebody in the background say, because somebody accused your ass of being the best. And in walks Carl Weathers, also known as... Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, that son just, of a bitch. I just <laughs> went totally... totally over my head. Totally drew a blank there, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's okay. <laughs> I can't believe I flubbed that with this being my favorite movie of all time. Like, go figure. <laughs> I can't believe you ripped off a line out of Men in Black in a Predator review. I'm sorry. That Bad just... form. Bad form. <laughs> anyway, so after, you know, he makes his presence known, well, then they engage in the most epic of manly handshakes. You know, biceps are exploding, veins are popping out. And, I mean, you could just get pregnant off of that scene, right? I mean, even if you're a dude? I think there's some science behind that, (laughs) potentially. Anyway, obviously a very iconic scene, you know, very high on the testosterone. I'm a chick, and even I love that scene. It's the best. It definitely sets the tone. It also gives you the impression that Dutch and Dylan have known each other for a long time. Absolutely. Um, And that's, you get some, in my opinion, you get some, some sort of conflicting messages here. Right. Obviously, they've known each other for a long time. They've probably worked together before. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they've worked together before. But there's trouble in paradise. He gives him a little bit of a hard time about pushing too many pencils. But you can tell that he doesn't... He's, he's got some reservations about whatever it is that Dylan is asking them to do. Like, maybe he doesn't completely trust Dylan's motivations. Well, you probably get the idea that as far as skill level, Dylan's probably on par with Dutch, or at least at some point was. But maybe, you know, after he decided to, well, as you say, pushing pencils, getting involved with the politics of the whole thing, maybe he just lost some of that grit, some of that understanding for what the soldiers go through. I get the feeling that maybe Dutch feels he lost some of his integrity. He just, he he seemed like he turned into somebody who's very self-serving, untrustworthy, dishonest. And I mean, he, he refers to the team as expendable assets at one point. I mean, that's pretty harsh. Spoken like a true bureaucrat. It, well, I don't know much about that, but you know. <laughs> All right, so during this meeting, Dylan's giving Dutch the rundown, right? 
He's talking about some lost cabinet member and his staff. Uh, their helicopter went down out there in the jungle. Um, and at one point, he he mentions to Dutch, why don't you skip on the Libya thing, right? And he says, that's because we're a rescue team, not assassins. So you get the feeling that this is sort of Dutch's bread and butter if it's what he claims it to be. Mm-hmm. Right? If this is all in the up and up, this is what Dutch and his crew does. Right. They help the helpless. They They go all in to get people out of bad situations. But it's not necessarily the only thing that Dylan deals in. Dylan may deal in some shady stuff. It's possible. So at any rate, they kind of get the stuff ironed out to talk about where they're going, what they're doing. It's supposed to be a one-day deal. In and out, and then we're off. It's right? just so a this, simple this extraction. Movie, now we're moving fast. We get this little setup part. Mm-hmm. Some of it we thought was a little bit unnecessary. And then we get the basically the whole lowdown for what's going to happen in the next the movie here in like that five minutes in camp. And now we are... On helicopter headed into the jungle, right? So they should have named this movie Get to the Chopper because the whole movie they're trying to get to a helicopter somewhere. What are your thoughts? Um, This helicopter sequence is one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. It does such an excellent job with setting up the characters, kind of what they're like. They're not necessarily um, stereotypes, I would say, but I feel like everybody kind of gives their quirk. You kind of get a sense for, you know, who's the jokester or who's the, you know, the no BS soldier like I, I feel like they're all ironed out pretty well and you get a sense of who you're going to be with for the remainder of the film i agree and I, i'm glad that you get this time with them in the helicopter because other than just seeing them get out of the helicopter before we haven't really met any of these folks you kind of you get some face time right you don't get any character development really with them with anybody except for blaine right <laughs> Played by Jesse Ventura, and I'm just gonna—I'm not gonna lie—he's my favorite character. He I know is a lot my of people—they're gonna pick out Arnold just because he's the—he's the main guy, right? He's the headliner. Um, he's the one to put butts in the seats when this movie came out. But for me, Jesse Ventura is the star of the show. I mean, I'm not gonna lie—I have a—you—you you know this—I have a three-quarter scale action figure of Dutch in our bedroom as well as a predator because again you know this being my favorite movie and i'm just a giant nerd the only reason you have that one is because they don't make three-quarter scale replicas of jesse ventura i swear to god if they had a blaine replica yeah that probably i would have bought that first i mean he is easily some of the best lines in the movie his line delivery he's just so calm he's got this calm facade behind all of these hilarious one-liners and it just seems so effortless well i think some of it is because you know arnold's an actor and the whole time it's this he's playing through all this stuff he's an actor playing a role but when jesse ventura tells you that this shit will make you a sexual tyrannosaurus you get the impression that's just who this guy is like it just rolls out there like it's so natural the way he delivers his lines in this movie that it just adds credibility to him as that character. By the way, if anyone knows where I can pick up a sexual Tyrannosaurus shirt, I would be so glad to know because I need one of those in my life. <laughs> I think everybody needs one of those in their life. I, I would purposely wear it to the most inappropriate of places. All right, so let's not get tied down on one character. Let's make the rounds. Let's meet everybody, and then we'll come back to Blaine because they've got a couple more things I want to talk about. Who's next? Well, we have Bill Duke, probably another one of my favorite characters in this movie. And the thing about Bill Duke's character, it's just so very well acted. For somebody who is pretty stoic, throughout the movie, I believe that he gives really great range because like I said, he can be pretty stoic for most of the movie, but if something happens, something that he cares about or upsets him, he can just turn it on a dime and just completely freak out at a moment's notice. 
So this may sound strange, but I think his lack of reaction, his lack of emotion to everything that leads up to what happens later in the movie, when he finally breaks, it makes it more believable. Exactly. What do you think? Exactly. He is just... His, his acting is just tremendous. And I didn't, you know, watching this first time when you're a kid, you don't, you really don't think about all these things, but watching it as an adult, you can really see the nuances and just the overall, like, I don't know, you really feel for this guy at times in the movie. Yeah. Bill Duke's a great actor, but there's, let's not get sidetracked with just this guy. I'm sorry. He's a great actor, <laughs> but we've got really three more people that we need to talk about. Let's move on to Billy played by Sonny Landham. And I got a fun fact before you dive in there in this movie, they hired a bodyguard for Sonny Landham, not to protect Sonny Landham from anyone else, but to protect the rest of the cast from him. Apparently, he had a reputation for starting fights, so the only way they would ensure this movie is if they had a bodyguard on site to protect the rest of the cast from Billy. Why would you want to pick a fight with Arnold? That makes no sense. Why would you want to pick a fight with Jesse Ventura? I mean, the Why guy wrestled. Why would you want to pick a fight with Billy? Um, that's Which, Let's be honest, point. I'm on board with Jesse Ventura because briefly Jesse Ventura was a member of the Mongols Motorcycle Club. Really? I didn't know that. He really was. <laughs> Not involved in any criminal activity, but after he got out of the service, he was briefly a member. Wow. And then later a governor. Just saying. That, well, two of our cast members are governors. <laughs> almost three. Almost Who's the third? Sonny Landham almost ran, and he, he pulled out at the last minute. He decided wow. he wasn't going to run. I think it was for Tennessee. That's crazy. So you got a governor of California. And might I add, Arnold managed to be a Republican governor of California. <laughs> right, no Not easy feat. turning this into a political <laughs> podcast. I'm just saying that ain't easy. I can't imagine. And then, uh, yeah, Jesse Ventura was a governor, and Sonny Landham was almost. Wow. So moving on, we got so Billy. we also... Yeah, Billy's our tracker extraordinaire. He kind of is known for being a little bit of superstitious member of the group. Um, he's the one that kind of gets turned on early to like, you know, maybe somebody's watching. Like there's somebody lurking around. He's the only one that kind of gets those inklings throughout. Yeah, he definitely, it, they never come right out and say it. But in the movie, you kind of get the vibe that kind of an intuition type of thing almost with him not necessarily superstition and not a sixth sense for sure because that's not this kind of movie but and again super tough but yeah guy but i think an intuition yeah that something that he can't explain is out there and at one point he says they tell him you're not scared of any man and he says this is not a man exactly like again super tough super badass but he he gets scared i mean all of these guys at one point are just terrified and that's really crazy to see you know for these guys who's probably been through some shit for years seeing all manner of things but this one thing has got this group of guys completely terrified out of their gourds yes it does but i mean come on who wouldn't be scared of the predator <laughs> true very and, true. and we know what's coming Sort of. Yeah. Like these guys, they have no idea. Uh, as the movie progresses and people are dying all around them, they, they don't know. So last two characters, we've got uh, Poncho, which I talked about briefly. He was a He's a veteran. Um, and in this movie, you really, I don't know. He's, he's like one of the last ones to, to, to bite it. Again, spoilers. But I he don't, he's don't... one of the last ones to die. But he fits with the rest of the group, but he doesn't. I don't know for me if it's maybe it's just because he's not a big guy. I, I don't know. He seems to not have a specialty. Well, I wouldn't say that because he does seem to work some translation detail amongst locals. I don't know if that's specifically something you put somebody on a team for, but it's definitely established that he's the go-to guy if they can't understand what somebody's saying. Other than that, I couldn't really find a special skill that he had, you know? Yeah, he, I don't know. 
he just he comes he definitely plays the role of a professional soldier well so mm-hmm. i don't mean to take anything away from the guy's performance he did a fantastic job absolutely but when you've got these huge guys you got bill dukes you got arnold you got jesse ventura right and it, as you kind of go through it dutch is clearly the leader mm-hmm. uh, mac is definitely second in command yes uh you got jesse ventura blaine he's clearly the muscle yeah in in the group and then you've got billy who is the tracker and then there's poncho and again nothing against the guy he plays a soldier very very well so maybe that's it maybe he's just an adept soldier and that's his role in it. I'll tell you what, the one that got on my nerves, the one that didn't fit, and for all you haters out there, it ain't personal, but Shane Black did not deserve to be in this movie. He had no business being in there with these guys. It's not about his acting. It's not about anything. He just didn't fit with this crew at all because he couldn't even pull off being a convincing professional soldier. Uh, You get this shot where... I guess this poncho tosses a ball like he's going to hit him with the ball. And he catches it super quick. Like he has fast reflexes. So you think, oh, okay, so maybe you could see for a minute why this guy's here. Maybe he's smart. Maybe he's a tech guy. Something, you know. But all you end up getting is a string of pussy jokes. Yeah, and apparently he can operate a radio. But that's it. That seems to be his entire contribution. And apparently the, the directors felt so as well because he's the first one to die. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There, he obviously has a couple of comedic moments, but I just feel like for this type of movie with these, this particular group of guys, he's just the odd man out. That's just my opinion. I agree with you there. I mean, you, you've got some heavy hitters um, with Carl Weathers, Arnold, and Jesse Ventura, and all these guys, and they're all big guys. Basically, you've got the Barbarian Brothers, <laughs> and then this little dude, and it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't fit for me. And, and I can appreciate what Shane Black brought to this film. I mean, he's obviously got a right pedigree a mile long. He's been a part of some of the biggest action movies to date, but I don't know if they brought him in for that purpose because he did some of the rewrites. I mean, I went forever thinking that Shane Black wrote this movie when in fact it was Jim and John Thomas, but I had always thought that was credited to Shane Black. So that being said, I don't know what rewrites he did, but it's a pretty good script. There's great dialogue. So if that's attributed to him, then I've got to give credit where credit's due. Well, again, this is not personal. It's not a personal thing against Shane Black. The guys wrote some awesome movies. He did Lethal Weapon. He did, what, The Last Boy Scout, Long Kiss, Goodnight. Die Hard. The dude's written some awesome movies. So it's not a personal thing. I just think from an acting standpoint, from a casting standpoint, he didn't fit with the rest of them. And I yeah. guess that's my point. I, I, I'm like totally in agreement. If you're looking to build a cohesive unit, these guys are the best of the best of the best. Yes. And then you got Shane Black. Yeah. And he just doesn't fit that, you know, Dylan says we want the best of the best. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree completely. So as we said, they're sitting in this helicopter waiting to get to their destination. And you got Long Tall Sally by Little Richard playing in the background which is completely perfect. You know, usually when you see any movie that's having to deal with military situations, they go back to the classic CCR, Jimi Hendrix. So it was nice to see some little Richard, and I love this song so much. Yeah, it's not an obvious choice, I would guess, right? Like, typically, if you're looking at like, you're going to look at the Rolling Stones, right? We're going to have some helicopters flying through the jungle. We're going to paint it black. This is how we do it, right? Or run through the jungle, fortunate sun. We're going to do something like that. But this is such a happy song. It just, it's out of place in the, but in the best possible way. Yeah, I don't know what the hell was going on, but we're going to play Long Tall Sally while we're doing a Vietnam helicopter flight montage, and it works. It, it just works. But like we were saying, we're getting established with these characters. And very early, I mean, from the jump, you can see that Blaine is not at all approving of Dylan. He's sitting back, he's chewing some tobacco, and he just lets her rip. Big, huge spit right on Dylan's shoe. And it's like, it's a real nasty habit you got there. It, it's gross. It's 
totally gross. I just want to point out that Blaine just spit a big old mouthful of red man <laughs> all over Dylan's boot. And Dylan didn't even talk shit. Even he doesn't want to pick a fight with Blaine. I'm just saying. No, he sat there pretty calm, but he also has a look in his eye like, if these guys went to blows in the next minute, you wouldn't at all be surprised. That was just the kind of attention we were dealing with there. So it almost seems like that's what Blaine's after. How? Blaine clearly does not like him. Spitting on somebody is an antagonistic gesture. Yeah. That's not something you just do joking around with a buddy. Yeah. Like, that's... Uh, Spit's gross. Yeah, that's that's... <laughs> amazingly disrespectful even if you're spitting on a shoe um so blaine's picking a fight at this point now it doesn't it turn into that but he's definitely the the i guess the antagonist in this instance and dylan is smart enough not to to rise to the challenge i mean come on who would it's jesse ventura kick your ass but i think what we do establish is that blaine clearly there's no love lost between him and Dylan. He doesn't trust Dylan at all. Even Max kind of giving him the side eye, but Max not well, saying anything. Well, I but, don't see a bunch of... Um, those two guys, for sure, not on the Dylan fan club. I don't see a bunch of guys, especially military guys, sitting around spilling the tea or anything, but maybe at some point Dutch kind of told them, you know, we, we were in battle together, we went on these missions together, but maybe told him some sketchy stuff, and maybe that's why they have the opinion of him they do. And I think some of it is because they don't know him. Could be. Right. He's so an outsider. They, they know enough of him to not necessarily like him. But at one point, you see Dylan holding a lighter. And it looks like he's got some form of insignia, maybe a mm-hmm. military unit. Somebody says something about it. I don't remember what the exact words were. And he says, yeah, Dutch and I both have one. Yeah. It was so like 1971 or something. They served together. Yeah. Right. And I want to say it was Da Nang or something like that. So I guess they were in Vietnam together. Hue- uh, I, I thought to... it was Hue. Wait, it was Hue? Yeah, Hue. It was That's Hue. it. Yeah. So Vietnam, probably. They served together. They both got Zippos. I I don't know that you know they just could run around handing out Zippos as combat medals, but apparently right, so like the in equivalent the of a gold universe, watch or something. Like <laughs> great job, you got you got some combat under your belt. Here's a Zippo. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a thing. Yeah, who knows? But none of the other guys have them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been asking that question. Right. Which means that at some point, Dutch and Dylan served together away from these guys. Right. So it could be a combination of things. Maybe he's just the unknown, and this is a really tight unit that does not trust the unknown. They trust who's in their circle, and he's not. But we could probably debate uh, the interpersonal. Uh, <laughs> we'll save that for another between time. These guys, we could talk about the psychology <laughs> behind it, and do some research. No, but for right now, we need to land this helicopter and get in the jungle. For right now, strap this on your sore ass plane. <laughs> <laughs> So we eventually get to where we're going. They've got to carry out this mission. And basically they've got to go in and rescue, I, I, guess, I guess they're hostages. They're being held hostage. So what they think they know is that they're after a cabinet member and his staff, like a CAA cabinet member and his staff. That's what Dylan told them uh, before they left the camp. So that's where they think they're going. But when they, get the, when they get on the ground, that's not what they find. Right. And I don't want to stick on this particular scene for too long because it's another thing that I feel... And it's another nitpick. I feel like it's kind of out of place with the tone of the rest of the movie. I mean, the movie is this very tense cat and mouse uh, fight for survival. And you just have this weird, gratuitous Michael Bay style action scene at the beginning of it. Yeah, it's like, so let's put 10 minutes of the Transformers in the middle of the Predator movie. Let's take a good movie and just fuck it up for 10 minutes, like, properly. And that's just our opinion, guys. You may love it. There's a couple of great one-liners in there. There's stick around and knock-knock, and I mean, who doesn't love that? But it just felt, and maybe it's because the second unit 
unit director shot this instead of John McTiernan, but it just felt very out of place with his style of directing. So we'll come back around to that in just a second, but we've left out a couple of things that are really important leading up to that. So they end up on the ground, and before they find anything else, before they end up in the mercenary camp, they find a helicopter in the trees. That's right. So, Shame on me. So we got so there's some there's a little bit of groundwork before that. We'll get back to Michael Bay and his <laughs> ten minute blow shit up fest. Um it's not Michael Bay. So before you send your hate mail, he's not the one that did it. It was a second unit director. I don't even know what his name is. Moving on. I don't know the guy. <laughs> But we'll talk more about that in a minute. So they find the helicopter upside down in the trees. And there's, I guess, the pilot and the co-pilot are both up there. And they've both been shot. And nobody else. Uh Right? So they send Poncho up there. So maybe that's his skill. He is the climb a rope guy. (laughs) So he can translate and he can climb a rope. So they send him up. Important skills to have. Important skills to have. But uh, so he gets up there. There's no trace of anybody else. Right? Uh And he he tells... Arnold kind of off to the side that it looks like a surveillance bird, not a transport. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a little bit more of that. Maybe the reason they're out there is, is not, on not the up and up up. completely what Dylan told him it was. Right. He hasn't fully disclosed it. And at some point here, this is where Billy discovers, well, he finds a little treasure out there, doesn't he? Kind of um, stumbles upon it. You could call it that. <laughs> and uh, it's one of your favorite SFX guys. So I'll let you talk about that. Billy finds some Frank Cotton-esque bodies hanging up in the tree, meaning that they are completely without their skin. Straight out of Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. So who was the SFX guy that did that? I don't know who they had originally, but I know that they brought Stan Winston in later because what they had working in the beginning was not great. I mean, the Predator looked like a bug. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was in this little red outfit shaped like the bug. And I mean, yeah, there was obviously some special effects and visuals that were going to go into that later, but it was awful. Seriously, the original design for the Predator prior to Stan Winston was a bug. It yeah. was an insect. And it would have been played by five foot nine Jean-Claude Van Damme. Now again, before you... The muscles you, from Brussels. The muscles from Brussels. <laughs> before you jump on the hate train, I got nothing against Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I will definitely say that the Predator being played by a seven foot tall actor is way scarier than it would have been by a guy who's my size. Kevin Peter Hall is amazing. And I believe that he came on to this right after his work on Harry and the Hendersons, which again, that's another great movie from my childhood. But this guy is obviously used for his, I mean, I guess you call him assets. The guy's huge. I mean, he's intimidating. So here's another thing, because I totally nerded out on the fact finding for this deal. So I think we're going to talk about him a little bit later, but yes, he's huge. He's a huge guy. But that suit that they put him in when they when Stan Winston came in and they redesigned the Predator, which by the way, I think James Cameron took all the credit for the design because he was like, what if he had mandibles? And Stan Winston was like, yeah, what if he did? So he made the Predator. I didn't as know it is that. Right now. Yeah, you should read your IMDb Fucking facts. Fucking James Cameron. Oh man, just go make the Titanic and leave everybody alone. Um, <laughs> Who is it on South Park? He's raising the bar. He's raising the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so Stan Winston made the Predator, but the suit that they made him wear, that thing weighed like 200 pounds. So even as big and as strong as he was, apparently he still had to have like cords and stuff attached to him so that he could move normally. Right, because in the Lord, the Yautja, they're over seven feet tall. They don't give you a specific height, but they say it's over seven feet tall and over 520 pounds. So, I mean, that's huge. And so you've got to have a lot of stuff on you to give that look. Yeah, you had to have, have to add a lot of mass, even for a guy as big as he was. But anyway, so Billy finds some skin bodies, and he finds something else in there. He finds some dog tags. And we've been talking about the manliness of this manly, super manly, manly movie. 
And he sees the dog tags. He picks him up with his knife. And using the knife, he flicks him to Arnold, who catches him in a manly fashion with one hand. And it's somebody he knows. This is supposed to be some... And I can't remember his rank. Um, I don't remember the rank, but it was... What was his name? Jim, Jim Hopper. Hopper. Which I found completely strange because isn't that the sheriff's name in Stranger Things? I don't know about his first name, but his name's definitely I Hopper. I feel like it's Jim Hopper. Which Maybe is... they were Predator fans. Just saying. Well, I'm just saying maybe Jim Hopper, maybe this was, this took place after his time in Hawkins, Indiana. I'm just saying. I think you're really stretching there. (laughs) Possibly, but a girl can dream, so. (laughs) But anyway... So it turns out that Dutch knew this guy, and he's questioned, he questions Dylan on why were they here? That was a Green Barrier unit out of Fort Bragg. So why were they even here? And Dylan claims that he doesn't know. Yeah, it, it's all looking very sus, and I think at this point, all the guys are like, I don't, I think this guy's not telling us everything because these guys, I mean, this is a brutal kill, obviously, and this does not appear to be what they signed up for. No, it doesn't. But at this point, Arnold and his crew seem to think that uh, this is the, the gorillas. Right. Right. The, mm-hmm. These uh, guerrilla fighters that they're after and that they're they're going to rescue them. So they move on from there and they find, finally, this guerrilla encampment in time to see what we don't know is actually the last of the hostages gets shot. But he's shot by a, he's a Russian commander of some sort. I don't remember. I'd have to look it back up. But yeah. So you've got the CIA and the Russians involved now. And then Dutch and his crew moves in for the kill. Right. And we're pretty much back to where we started at the beginning. Like, I mean, you got Thanos in there basically, rain, fire. I mean, because that's what happens. It's it's just complete chaos. There's bodies flying over here. There's fire over here. Um, bullets spraying. I mean, it's... It's, it's just complete. So, <laughs> all right. So to, to sort of, to, to get away from all of our metaphors and uh, Michael Bay commentary. So here's the deal. Up to that point, these guys are the best of the best. And then at the very beginning, you see them, they sneak around and they take out all the guards. They got the guys in the towers and they're super silent while they're doing it, right? These are some serious um, special forces type soldiers, right? They're mm-hmm. quick, they're quiet, they're deadly. And then at some point, the second unit director said, you know what? If an elite team of military operators was sent in to capture or to reclaim, to rescue hostages, I think they would just use a shitload of explosives and blow up the whole place, even though they don't know where the hostages are being kept. They really did. They blew up just about everything. They went in guns blazing, shooting grenades, throwing grenades. They used their infinite ammo cheat. None of them had to reload. Just want to point that out. And they blew everything up. Now, come to find out there were no hostages left there, right? They just, uh, they find nothing really other than some paperwork. And they pick up POW Anna. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's what she ends up being is, uh, you know, I like to call her... Um, she's For all intents and purposes, she's a hostage. Yeah, I like to call her Expository Anna because that's basically all her character does for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and it's nothing against the actress. Uh, I want everybody to understand that when we talk about these movies and when we talk about uh, the characters in the movies, it's nothing personal against the actor or actress. They play oh, their role. Oh, absolutely not. Um, and sometimes you get a good script, sometimes you get a bad script. But uh, Sometimes you don't get much to do, and she didn't. In this instance, didn't. I honestly don't know why they put her in the movie because you could have taken her out, and from that point forward, it really would not have changed the movie. It wouldn't have changed it at all because she doesn't really contribute anything. But either way, um, yeah, so they find her, and they find some paperwork. Arnold walks up on 
on Dylan, dig it through paperwork like he just hit the jackpot. And that's when we really find out that Dylan's a big fat liar. Yeah, yeah. Arnold gets straight pissed and is like, you set us up, you son of a bitch. Like, you just made up the story, you dropped us in, and this is our lives. And not just that. All those dead soldiers, he finally claims them. He's like, that was my team. So, Dylan's been behind this the whole time. So again, as we established, he doesn't think of these guys any more than expendable grunts, well, that's basically. that's what he tells Arnold. He says, you're expendable assets. Exactly. So, Dylan's kind of a piece of shit at this point. He kind of is, but that's okay. That's okay, because we're moving on. We're past the explosions. We're past the unnecessary garbage. <laughs> now we're going to get back to a movie the way it should be. To the meat of the so, story. But before we leave them, before we leave this burning pile of wreckage, let's talk about Jesse Ventura. Oh yeah. One of the best one-liners in the movie comes from him. Yes. I have an affinity for this particular line. I don't know why it hits me the way that it does, but every time it does, you just, I don't know. I don't want to say it's inspiring, but it kind of is. But I guess he gets shot in the arm and Poncho looks at him and he's and he's like, hey man, you're bleeding. And he's like, I ain't got time to bleed. Just so calm and cool and casual. It's just, yeah. I need to look that up and find out if that was scripted or if that was ad-libbed. <laughs> if it were ad-libbed, I would not be surprised at all. I wouldn't either. It just rolled out there too easily. I mean, maybe that's one of his lines from wrestling or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I don't think it is because I watched him when he was a wrestler for the WWF. Yes, it was before they were the WWE. Um, and I don't remember him ever saying anything like that. But either uh, way. So it's, it's not like the... a Roddy Piper situation at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I'd have to look it up. That may have been an ad lib on his part. It might not have been. But either way, it's one of the greatest quotables, uh, one of the best one liners to come out of the 80s. And yeah. I'm including all of the 80s. Okay? And he doesn't really even acknowledge Poncho. He's not even looking at him. He's just, he's he's got his eyes on the prize. Like, he's completely on task. Doesn't matter. Like, took take bullet? I don't care. Like, it's Tuesday. Yeah. He's just moving on with his life. Of course, then Poncho fires a series of grenades up in the air because why wouldn't we just grenade the place where we're looking for a hostage? You got time to duck? <laughs> it says, you got time to duck? So, anyway, they move on. Um, And then I have a conspiracy theory here. Okay. I'm going to share it with you, right? So, um, I'm scared. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> so, Dylan's leading his hostage away. He's leading Anna away and Matt calls him back and he's like, hey, come here. And I'm thinking... This is it. We're finally going to get rid of somebody. We're uh-huh. going to get rid of Dylan. Now I don't like him. This whole blow everything up thing has almost ruined the movie for me. This is not what I signed up for. You give me space. You give me Arnold and Jesse Ventura. And then you give me, I don't know what that was. We're just going to blow a bunch of shit up, right? It's because it's the 80s. This is where we, this is where we get, he gets his comeuppance, right? Uh-huh. This is where we make it all right. All's going to be right with the world after this. So he comes over there and he tells him to turn around. And he hauls out his knife. And I'm ready to jump up on the couch. I'm ready to start cheering that, yep, this is it. Matt kills him. I don't think I would have had that reaction. I don't think that I could have handled Carl Weathers dying twice, which he does. So I don't even know why I just said that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. Listen, he dies in every movie. Uh, yeah. He died I, in Rocky Four. He's gonna die in this one. Well, they definitely have a thing with I mean, taking shit, an appendage killed, away from him. They killed him in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that's true. They did. He's almost like Sean Bean. He can't... Like, they're just gonna kill him in every movie they put him in. He can't keep his hands. He can't keep his arms. And I, I would just like to point can't out... Can't keep his life. That the hand he was missing in Happy Gilmore is the same arm that gets shot off in Is this it movie. really? It really is. It's his right <laughs> hand. So that's not the point. So he turns around... 
Mac hauls out his knife. I'm getting ready to, to jump for joy that he's finally going to kill this son of a bitch. And he like makes a stabbing motion. And when he pulls it up, Carl Weathers is still alive. And he turns around and it's a scorpion, right? So mad props to uh, to Mac for being able to like stab a scorpion off of somebody's shoulder without actually stabbing the person. Cause, yeah, I don't know how you did that. You know, yeah. tiny bug. But he puts the bug down and he stomps it out. So they move on and the predator comes up and you see predator vision, right? You finally get predator vision, uh, the, that thermal imaging mm-hmm. stuff. I don't, I don't know how he hunts a damn thing with that. I can't see shit. But anyway, he picks up the scorpion, the dead scorpion. And this is my this is my conspiracy theory. When he holds it up in his hand and it zooms in so that it doesn't look just like a little blob of rainbow, it looks like a face hugger. You are it? really reaching, man. Admit it. <laughs> no. Admit that it looks like a face hugger. I mean, okay, the shape is similar, but Damn I it, don't... it's a face hugger. I don't know where that plays into being a conspiracy theory. Because <laughs> they made Alien, right? What, 79? <laughs> yeah, something okay. like that. This is 87. They had time to plan this out. <laughs> They knew. They knew I, there was going to be a crossover. I believe it started with the comic books, but that's just me. All right. We're getting off topic. Let's move on. <laughs> we digress. Yeah. All right. So we're done in the village. We're done with my conspiracy theory. And now it's time to get to the chopper. That's basically the plot. I mean, not plot or, or mission, MacGuffin, whatever you want to call it, for the rest of the movie is that we got to get from point A to point B to get the hostage picked up or POW, whatever. They they want to they want to take her in, I guess, question her about what she knows. They're trying to evac. Yeah, they're, they're trying to get out. So this is where our real, my favorite part, the reason I'm here, all begins. And that is that while they are going, they're starting to get a sense that they're, something's after them. And Dylan seems to think it's just a couple of guys screwing with him. And he's like, yeah, but I don't think so. Well, and Billy, he's, you know, he's standing there kind of staring off into space and he's he's giving them all the I see dead people look. And uh, they're like, Billy's spooked. And they're like, but Billy, you, you fear no man. And he was like, this is not a man. So yeah, you're definitely in the groundwork there. Like Dylan thinks it's just some dudes and everybody else, especially Billy is like, I don't know what this is, but we're being hunted. At this point, they realize that they are the ones being hunted. And some of it could have been from back at the camp where they realized that, listen, yes, they were gorillas. Yes, they were bad dudes, but they weren't running around skinning people. This is something else. Exactly. And very quickly, we get Hawkins just wiped off. I mean, there's no... Thank God. <laughs> there's no leading up to this. This is where, in, in when we're getting to the film, where it just starts to become a very tense, slow burn, cat and mouse type of deal. Um, and very, very effective in making you just feel anxious and tense and you don't know what's about to happen. Yeah, and when, you know, apparently that's not just us. It's not just you. It's not just me. If you read the the user reviews on IMDb, a lot of the, re- the critics or the reviewers say the same thing, that it's very tense. Now, I've seen the movie a few times, so I don't get that same feeling of tension now that I watch it. But, you know, maybe when I watched it when I was a kid, I did get that feeling because you don't really get to see the Predator. I think in total, the whole movie, the Predator gets eight minutes of screen time. Well, like, and that's what, it. And what they do so well is they give you just enough each time. Like every time he gets on screen, they give you just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until you get to that final reveal at the end of the movie where you're like, holy shit. But for now, yeah, it's all very timed just perfectly. And they give you just enough that you're like, what is this thing? What is going on here? Yeah. And I think one of the things they do really well, and, and I'll be honest, when I watched the movie, it annoyed me. 
but it does definitely add to the suspense is that you don't really get a good look at the Predator. Like a good look, head to toe, this is the thing they've been running from the whole time till the very end of the movie. Like they did a really good job of hiding the overall scope of what this thing is. You get to see the Predator vision, so you get to see things from the Predator's point of view. You get to see some blurry shapes. Um, you get to see it when it's sitting in the tree doing a little first aid thing. Well, you before don't really that, get to see it. Before that, the you end. get and the. I think that adds a lot. You get the light bending camouflage, in which I mean. I think for 1987 looks fantastic. I mean, it, I would say it holds it better than most CG now. I mean, it's unbelievable what they could do back then. Listen, I'm just going to go on and say it. When was the first Mortal Kombat movie made? Uh, 1995. Or maybe it was the second one where they had the... Maybe the, 94. The camouflage lizard where they tried to do the same thing. I think it was supposed to be reptile. Yeah, it was the first this one. This movie's Predator camo, his invisible camo or whatever, is uh-huh. better than that movie. And There's a lot of things that are better than that movie. And I love Mortal Kombat, to be fair. Most better than that movie we'll have oh, to review that one sometime. yes we will <laughs> but for for that matter if you look at the modern uh mortal Kombat, the one that just came out where it's got that weird lizard thing that's attacking them um that's not good either the predator camo is better than that one too yeah. so from 1987 to 2021 they had better camo you know invisible. I, I really miss the heyday of practical effects like that's where my heart is you you just got so much more care and so much more skill and the way things are done now it just feels like an after thought like there's not much consideration as to what this character really looked like it let's just slap it on a computer do some graphics and I'm sure that job is hard I couldn't do it I can barely operate Photoshop so I can appreciate that it takes a certain amount of skill I just don't believe that it's the same kind of skill that, that these guys the Rob Botines the Rick Bakers the the Stan, Stan Winston's Winston. that of the world that just really pioneered the latex and makeup and just I mean the amazing amount of work put in. Let's just go on record and say that practical effects are always, almost, almost always going to be more believable than digital. Yes. Almost always. They're juicier. <laughs> juicier. Yeah, why not? <laughs> kind of like whenever well, uh, Max's head explodes. Yeah, they were still dripping. Anyway, <laughs> so let's get on with the movie. So they leave. Hawkins is dead. We all cheer. And then, so they're looking for Hawkins' body. Because all they found was a pile of guts, right? So now this is the saddest part of the movie for me. Because you lose two characters really, really quickly. Almost back to back. So Hawkins, no great loss. This is where we lose Blaine. Yeah, it sucks. You're, you're not, pre- I, or at least I wasn't prepared for it. You get this moment where he's kind of standing ready to, you know, ready for anything. And he hears a noise. And so he's ready to shoot, whatever. He's he's ready. But it turns out it's just a little, I don't know what that is. If it's like a... It was something. It was an little, animal. Yeah, it was a little yeah it was a critter it was a womp rat i don't know but it comes out so you get that momentary thing of oh okay thank god but then out of nowhere and i could have this completely wrong i've been told i have this wrong but it looks like it to me okay it looks like out of nowhere blaine gets hit in the ear and then all of a sudden gets hit in the chest from the back like it goes through the back out the front and it leaves this giant cavity in his chest. Yeah, it hits him in the back and just kind of blows the front of his torso off. It's pretty, pretty gruesome. But anyway, so regardless of how he got hit, he got hit. Blaine's down. We just lost him and I really don't feel like we need a moment of silence for Blaine. All right, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to drink one for my homie. Aw, that's so sweet. 
Yeah, it makes me sad. So we have established, and it may not be right in your face, but you just get this overall sense that Mac and Blaine have been buddies. I mean, he does say later he was my friend, which is very sad, but you do get some stuff leading up to that. Well, he's the only one he ever really talks to. You don't see dialogue between Mac and anyone other than really Dutch, and when it's then, he's either relaying information or taking orders. And I felt like those two alone, apart from the team, they were a very well-oiled machine, just the two of them. Them. Like they they knew how to read each other. They knew what the other they could anticipate what the other one was doing. Well, when they go into that camp, you see them like split up automatically, and they take down those two guards at the same time. And there's really not any verbal communication between them. They no, just... it's kind of all in the eyes. Like they just know. Like I said, they can anticipate each other. So these are two men that know each other very well. They've operated together for a while. Right. So the way that Dutch and Dylan were doing that before, maybe there's a whole other history there between Blaine and Mac. Maybe there is. So we get Mac who probably has the only real big reaction to Blaine's death. And this, admittedly, this used to make me laugh because Mac lets out this word or scream. And I, for the longest time, couldn't understand what he said because it was just like, ah! So I read, I actually put on the subtitles this time to figure out what it is he's saying. And so he screams, Sergeant, which to me doesn't sound like it. But according to the subtitles, that's what he says. And he proceeds to grab Blaine's minigun and just go to town on this Guadalupe Guatemalan jungle. I mean, it, there's nothing left after he gets done. No, he really cuts loose with that thing. And that's a GE minigun, for those of you who want to know. It's a GE minigun. <laughs> Highly modified blood. to be man portable, because most of the time those are mounted to a vehicle or, you know, in a helicopter. Um, they had to heavily, heavily, heavily modify that thing so that he could carry it and it was shooting blanks. And he carried it well. Just saying. One thing they did say, stay true to in the gun though is that uh, so in a, in a minigun uh, it actually ejects it lets gravity eject the shell casings from the bottom of the gun mm-hmm. and if you watch in the video it does that so they changed it but they didn't change it too much so props to the guy who uh, changed that gun so he could tote it around and I believe Mac tells Dutch later he's like I let loose like 200 rounds it's like nothing should have survived that okay so I gotta get super critical about this movie for two seconds he picks up the gun clearly he's in emotional state um, he just lost his best friend and he's spraying down the jungle he's uh-huh deforesting at this point because I mean those things it's practically one bullet following around on the heels of another one out of that thing yeah uh, because the speed that you see that gun running, the rate of fire is actually one third of what it normally would run on a full sized uh, weapon. Just mm. for those of you who wanted to know that, that's about one third speed of what it would really, really shoot. So these other, I want to say this, trained professionals go up there, join in and just start indiscriminately <laughs> firing into the jungle and they don't even know what they're shooting at. They're just shooting everywhere. I feel like it's not realistic. Okay. Can I just say I'm a pacifist? Like I, I don't really care for guns all that much, but it does look fun. I mean, maybe not to destroy (laughs) the jungle there, but just to, you know, let loose. That just seemed like a good time to me. So off topic for two seconds, I did see a documentary show uh, where they went and got Bill Dukes and he uh, took him out and actually let him shoot a real GE minigun that was uh, mounted on a tripod. Huh. Yeah. It just seems... He said it was tons of fun. It It was awesome. The only reason I watched it is because he was in it. Right. If it had been somebody else shooting a gun, I wouldn't care. But it was him doing it and it was just really cool to watch. He eats green brace for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't... He seemed to really enjoy it, but 
Anyway, so getting back, you get a bunch of trained professionals firing indiscriminately into the jungle, and this is where they've totally exhausted their infinite ammo cheat because they have to reload. <laughs> I mean, even after he runs out of ammo, he's still, like, firing. Like, there's nothing coming out, but he's just still in such distress that he just keeps letting the thing dry fire for what seems like a really long time. Well, I'm not an armorer, but it's got an electric motor in there that spins the barrels. So, I mean, it basically runs off of a car battery. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he was keeping that sucker spooled up. Uh, it took him a minute there, kind of for, I guess, for reality to set in before he lets off the trigger. But anyway, so they they shoot all these rounds and they hit nothing, right? Mm-hmm. They hit nothing. So we find out through Anna walking around in the, the jungle with the screw, she sees what appears to be green goo on foliage. So I looked that up. That's actually the stuff out of a glow stick and KY jelly. Huh. That's how they made that green blood. So she takes some of this in her hand, I guess, to study it. But the group's like, hey, come on, get your ass moving. And so she proceeds to wipe it on her pant leg. And you don't see anything. I guess that was, you know, they obviously went back and the blood was visible there. But at the time that she rubbed it on her pants, I couldn't tell what she was doing because there was no green glow there at the time. But they start growing very suspicious of her too and start asking her like, okay, you were with Hawkins when he died. What, what the hell happened? And she tells them, in Spanish, I don't know, the jungle just came alive. And of course, they're like, what does that even mean? So after this, that you know, they kind of set camp for the night and Bill Duke, uh, Mac, sorry, is understandably upset. He witnessed his best friend get killed. And so he's just kind of standing off to himself watching, watching camp. And he's basically talking to Blaine. Like, whoever did this to you, I'm going to find him and I'm going to get them for you. He says, I'm going to cut your name into them. Yes. And... Then out of nowhere, he hears something. So they set the flare off because they had set all those those tripwires. Uh-huh. And something sets off a flare and it comes after Mac. So Mac, thinking that this is, you know, our killer, proceeds to go after it and catches it and just goes to town stabbing it. Well, when the rest of our group gets there, they realize that he pretty much just brutally slaughtered a wild pig. Okay, so here's the deal. They kind of laugh about it. But you see the tusks on that thing? Like, that pig was as big as he was, and he killed it with a damn bowie knife. Mad props to him. Good yeah, job. Yeah, these are not those little squeaky things from Old Yeller that took Travis's leg. I mean, <laughs> this was a big fucking pig. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, we're not talking about babe here. He killed a <laughs> wild pig. Yeah. So anyway, alright, so Mac brings home the bacon, so to speak. And then the next day, they're looking around and nothing. They got nothing. But Blaine's body's gone. So Arnold realizes that whatever's after them made it through all those tripwires that mm-hmm. set anything off and made it out. And nobody saw it. And at this point, it seems like he realizes this thing's using the trees. Whatever's coming after us is using the trees. We got to do something else. We can't just use our normal tripwires. We got to diversify our tactics. And it's time for... And it's time for more expository Anna. So Arnold has had it at this point. And he's like, look cut the Spanish shit. You need to tell us exactly what the hell you saw. So she's like, all right, fine. You caught me. So she goes off in English and she's like, I can't explain it. It's like the jungle came alive and took him. And then she proceeds to show him the blood on her pants. And Arnold makes that realization and says... If it bleeds, we can kill it. And that's just another great Arnold one-liner. And I don't know if that was sort of an off-the-cuff thing, but I just want to pause for a second. I want everybody to think about how many one-liners 
came out of this one movie. So if there's only one other movie where you get this many one-liners out of it, that's Arnold. It's got to be Terminator 2. That's the only other movie I can think of where you get this many one-liners out of a single film. Okay, so if you guys have not checked out this video, you have to get on YouTube. Stop what you're doing. Well, not right now because you're listening to us. After this is over, stop what you're doing. Get on YouTube and look up. I think it's like the 100 greatest Arnold one-liners. And thank me later. It's it's truly epic. And after that, look up Chuck Norris facts. It's totally worth no, it. No, 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 no. No. Stay on subject here. Look up Arnold one-liners. I promise you will not regret it. All so, right. Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, so Arnold knows if it bleeds, we can kill it. Now what's it time for? What do they do next? Now it's time for a montage. Because it's the 80s, and if you're making an action movie, you gotta have a montage of people doing stuff. And in this montage, you've got all the best things. I say that with no small amount of sarcasm. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pull down some vines, we're gonna make some rope, we're gonna take our shirts off and flex our manly muscles, pull stuff up into trees, take stuff down from trees, we're gonna run vines along the ground, we're gonna make a veritable spider web of vines and nets and shit running all over the place because we're gonna catch us a predator. And at the end of it all, we're gonna do the only thing that makes sense, we're gonna hide in a cave. So they're hiding in a cave, they're peeking out, and Dylan's like, Arnold, Dutch. What's going on? And Arnold's like, we need bait. So he walks out. And that's when we get... I'm going to say it's a little cringy. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. Maybe you agree with me. Arnold walks out and then one of the traps is triggered and it's one of those super awesome manly cargo nets made out of vines and whatever. And it snatches up the predator and he makes R2-D2 noises yeah, he totally on is. the way up. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what it sounds like. What the hell is that? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I would have expected something more. <laughs> like, did they know. blow all their budget on the... <laughs> On the uh, the costume for the Predator, they didn't have shit left for special effects. They're like, oh, I was just going to steal some shit from Star Wars and put it in there. Uh, I would say, as far as the sound design in the Predator noises, that, they did a really good job. He makes some creepy ass noises. That, however, was not one of them. <laughs> no argument here. And we haven't really talked about this yet. All the sounds in this movie are great, right? The Predator, the predator itself, the growls, the clicks, the, the chittering, whatever you want to call it, the music, the score, all of it has been fantastic. But it's like they spent all their money there, and then it's like, we're just going to steal some sound bites out of some other movie, put it in here, we're going to make a predator oh, make R2-D2 noises, and fuck it, let's just do it. I just said it sounded similar. We can go over here all bagging on my movie and stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm bagging on about three seconds of it, and I just think it was a poor choice from a sound design standpoint. Not what I would have picked. They should have put like a lion roar in there. Maybe. Or something. I mean, come on. It's a seven foot tall, 500 pound predator. I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make beeping sounds. <laughs> come on. But anyway, speaking of a seven foot tall, 500 pound predator, it's not going to be contained by a vine net, and he full on ninja warriors his way out of there and across the trees. Yeah, I, I don't we don't see how he does it because he's still camouflaged, but all you know is he he gets the hell out. Yeah, now you see me, now you don't. And he is gone. And this was an, is when more chaos starts to erupt. Uh, our character Poncho, he takes a fucking deadfall. And I mean, this was a huge deadfall too. I mean, how does how's the ratio work on that again? You're supposed to set it to what again? I'm not sure exactly. Um, I don't I don't have all my survivalist knowledge. At, well, I know that at the top of my mind, Adrian right Brody explained I'm still working it in on predators. Drinking, still working on drinking one for my homie since he went down. <laughs> the last act. Um, but yeah, they talk about it in other movies. Um, so they were trying to kill, obviously, a very large animal. Um, and Hawkins takes this thing like right. Not Hawkins. Poncho. Yeah, Poncho. <laughs> Get it straight. <laughs> Too many for the homies. Um, 
So Poncho takes this thing right in the chest and it would have... It's brutal. Would have just absolutely crushed him. Yeah, seems like it should have killed him instead of just, you know, but he, he, he's all I like, can I can it. make it. I can make it. That's like, okay. <laughs> I love that line. So if you've seen this movie before, you can add in the comments. Did anybody think he was going to make it? <laughs> Nobody thought he was going to make it. I mean, he it. seemed pretty convincing. He was going to give it the college try. I mean. <laughs> yeah, he's got a GED and a give him hell attitude. He ain't going to make it. I can make it. So now they go on. It's it's time to get to the chopper, right? He hasn't said it yet. We haven't hit that epic quotable, but it's time to get to the chopper because Dylan's like, we're on a timeline. But there's a snag. Mac has lost his shit. Yes, rightfully Mac, so. He has. So this is too much. He's had enough. He grabs his gun and he takes off. He's going to have him some fun. And Dylan's like, I'm going to go back him up. And Arnold's like, good job. Yeah, this, is, really this is probably the most redeeming thing he does in the entire movie. It's the only useful thing he does in the whole movie. Agreed. And I wouldn't think that I'd talk that much shit about a Apollo Creed, but Aww. I'll tell you what, Carl Weathers does a really good job of playing a shithead in this movie. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy's acting, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. He's very believable as this slimy, smarmy CIA guy. <laughs> yeah, he really does a good job pulling it off, and that's just credit to his acting skill. But this kind of leads into one of the things that really just, I just don't like about this movie, because we're kind of on the downhill run here. Once you hit this part where they caught the predator in the net trap, like, everything moves pretty quickly after right. this. Because mm-hmm. you're really down to who? Who's left? You you got Arnold, you got Billy, Mac, you got Mac, you got Dylan, and Poncho. Anna, and Poncho, sort of. Poncho's only about half a character. He's, right he's kind of he's kind of gimping it through the jungle now. Yeah. So anyway, Mac runs off. Dylan's backing him up, and this is where my first real problem comes in. Mac is he's carrying looks like an M60 machine gun. If you know what it is, put it in the comments. But that's what it looks like to me. But at some point, he's crawling under a log, right? And he's kind of pulling himself along. He's clearly using both hands, which means he's put his weapon down. Now in this movie, they established earlier that that the predator doesn't kill people who are unarmed. And later in the movies, the, the Predator movies, yeah. it's established the Predator doesn't kill people that are unarmed if right. they're not a threat, if they can't fight back. There's no sport right? in it. It's not sporting, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. There, he, he goes by a certain code of, of honor. Right. So Max pulling himself along under this log, under these branches, and he gets shot right in the head. He gets full on slushied. His head goes full on 7-Eleven slushy. Yeah. He looks like cranberry sauce. Yeah. For about two seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they made some interesting choices here. Now, we'll I will say that I do appreciate in this movie that they didn't do what a lot of horror movies do. And some of you may say this is not a horror movie, but it does definitely have horror components is that they didn't do horror for horror's sake. They didn't do gore just for the sake of gore. I would say for those who say that this isn't a horror movie, this is the basic slasher formula. I mean, the predator goes and he picks these people off one by one. I mean, that's what a slasher film does. So that's just my opinion. That's fair too. If you look at uh, what Halloween, Friday the 13th, if you look at nearly all the big three, this is exactly what they do. They right? take a group of people and they stalk and they, them till there's one person left. They pick them off so, one at a time. Dutch is our final girl. Oh shit, Dutch is the final girl. <laughs> yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the final girl. Girl, you heard it the here fi- first. Final boy. <laughs> Yeah, he's the final boy. Final man. So anyway, he shoots Mac in the head and turns it into cranberry sauce. Whole berry, <laughs> for the record. Uh, but in the very next scene, his head's back, right? So you get a little bit of a continuity problem there. But like you see his head explode and rightfully so, he gets shoot with a shoulder parrot energy cannon thing. Right? Uh-huh. Awesome um, weapon. And that's actually what they called it. What one of the one of the guys on set called it was this parrot because it was a like parrot. I can uh, see that, was yeah. It Peter Sellers when he was it Blackbeard or something like that. And he uh-huh. had the rubber parrot sitting on his shoulder. They called 
called it the parrot gun. Uh-huh. But, uh, so Dylan sees him and it's back. His head's back. But he's still dead. <laughs> His head's back on, but he's still dead. But there's that that realization there. Oh, shit. It's right here. Yeah. Yeah. He knows he just stepped in something. Yeah. So, and this is the part, really, that I, I think probably disturbed you the most when you were a kid, right? Oh, my gosh. I, I can remember sitting with my stepdad because he, he was big into these movies. So, I got sucked into these movies. And I remember being, like I said, 11 or 12 years old, sitting on the couch watching this movie in the middle of the afternoon. And this scene came up and, you know, I'm just rocking along. I don't know what's about to happen. And out of nowhere, Dylan gets shot and his arm is fucking gone. And I'm like, what the hell? And the arm falls to the ground. It's still firing the gun. So that was traumatizing to me. That's dedication. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, it just completely warped my little mind. I had never seen anything like that. And at this point, I had seen several slashers, you know, but this was not something I had seen ever in a movie before. So I was completely scared shitless at this scene. And he somehow, like, mustering all the strength he's got left, does this really awesome slow-mo turnaround. Well, I'm gonna fire at you with my good arm. But alas, he does not quite make it to fire off a shot. Yeah, he summons up all of his Apollo Creed fighting spirit to turn around and continue on against Ivan Drago. Wait, wrong movie. <laughs> against the Predator. And he dies anyway. Yeah, the Predator hauls you out. Know, I don't even know what you... strange similarities between those two <laughs> movies now that we think about it. Yeah, the Predator hauls out, I don't know what you even call that weapon, I should know. It's the wrist blade thing. Yeah, it's wrist blade, and proceeds to impale him through the gut, lifting him through the air. And Dylan lets out this horrible, just bombastic scream that to this day, like, still gives me chills. Like, I can't watch that scene and not get chills. Like, even though I know what's coming every single time, I've seen this movie a hundred times, but it still just gets me where I live and I don't know why. So you need to pour another one out for your homie? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely got to pour another one out. Although I wouldn't say that he was my homie. So now we're down by one more. Our fellowship has lost another member. Yeah, I just threw a Lord of the Rings <laughs> thing in there. Perfect. You're welcome. <laughs> so if you listen to this podcast enough, you'll realize that we basically speak in movie quotes the entire time. You just got to be clever enough to catch them all. Yeah, I'm fluent in movie quotes and sarcasm. That's just me. So... <clears throat> So from here we move on. Um, we just lost Dylan. And you, so we really don't have very many people left, right? So we've got Arnold. We've got Anna. We've got Poncho, who dies almost immediately, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Like, he gets shot after, or is he still alive at this point? Oh, my god! I've had too many for my homies to remember, but I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> dead, too. It all happens really quick. Yeah, he gets shot. It, it, again, looks like it's right in the head or the ear or something, and he's just down. There's about three of them that just happen back to back. Yeah. And Billy. So Billy's left. But let me tell you something. Billy ain't having this shit anymore. (laughs) They just crossed a log and he's pissed off. You want to know how pissed off Billy is? Let me tell you how pissed off Billy is. Billy's so pissed off he's going to walk out on that log, take his shirt off and cut himself. That's how pissed off Billy is because we're going to fight off an interstellar predator and a space-faring bounty hunter, humanoid, whatever he is. (laughs) We're going to fight off a seven-foot-tall, 500-pound alien. What I want to do is throw my gun down, take my shirt off, cut myself and yell. That's how I'm going to do it. I wonder why he cut himself though. Like, what? Was that just like to get himself psyched up or I don't I don't I've never understood that okay listen I don't know maybe he thought the blood to draw him in and <laughs> I realized that it sounds like I'm making fun but when I saw that the first time as a kid I'm like that's fucking badass yeah like yeah it is I mean that dude's got balls of solid rock yeah yeah like, no no disputing that that's pretty awesome and I'll, I'll tell you what and I, the thing is I have the same problem with this one that I have with Mac I feel like they didn't do Mac justice right mm-hmm. so you don't have a ton of huge contributors to the movie they're all kind of 
they they play their small parts and they add up collectively, you know, as a whole to a great movie. Mm-hmm. But you don't spend a lot of time on each individual character. Right. I feel like they didn't do Mac justice in his death. I feel like Mac should have had a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. I feel like they gave Dylan, who is a piece of shit, a better a exit, better death, a yeah, better exit than Agreed. Mac got. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel like they didn't give Billy justice in this one. And here's the thing: so you would argue, and and I know I just said they don't do gore for gore's sake. I wanted to see Billy fight the predator with that knife. I can make fun of it all day long about how kind of dumb it was to do what he did. But damn it, I wanted to see him fight the Predator with that knife. Well, because he's completely killed off screen. You know, we, we see him do the thing, like you said, his, his mission statement, I'm fucking coming after you, he cuts himself, and you cut away to our other group, and then all of a sudden you just hear Billy scream. And again, it's, I mean, for me, I don't mind that they killed him off screen, because I'm like, with a scream like that, I do, maybe I don't want to fucking see what's going on here. It could be horrible. So, this is one of those things where, like, especially your old, old horror movies, the thing that scared you the most was what you didn't see. Exactly. Right? And that's what they relied on, especially in like your old Universal movies. What you didn't see was what was scary, right? Because it mm-hmm. leaves it to your imagination. Mm-hmm. But this is one where you get a horror movie combined with an action movie. And in an action movie, you want to see the hero pulling the damn trigger, mm-hmm. right? You want to see him win. You want to see whatever happens next, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't get that with Billy. Yeah. And, and again, Billy, he, he had what? 12 words of dialogue leading up to this point? Maybe. But at the same time, he would contributed to the movie moving along more than Arnold, conceivably. At this uh, he point, is our tracker. Like, like he has moved this thing along as much or more than Arnold has up to this point. And he was the one that kind of knew from the jump that something was not right in this situation. Yeah. So for them to kill him off screen, that I mean, just, I don't know. That was a, it was a cop out to me, I guess. Like they didn't, he didn't, it wasn't a good death to yeah. me. I wanted to see it happen. I wanted to see him go down fighting. I think that's really it. I wanted to see him go down fighting. Right. Because when he turns around and throws down his gun, that's a man who says, I'm not, I'm tired of running. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to run anymore. I'm going to face this thing. And they should have at least done the justice of letting us see what happened. Right. So now we're down to two, just Arnold and Anna. And it's time for Arnold to take a hit. Honestly. I mean, he's the he's the lead in the, in the movie. And nothing's happened to him up to this point. So we cut from Billy and Arnold gets hit by the shoulder cannon so he's he's desperate at this point i mean his whole team's been wiped out and he's really just got anna left so this is where we get our classic line get to the chopper so she's on her way and i believe you said you had a complaint about this right absolutely okay so let's see the predator shoots uh blaine in the back Mm -hmm. and it freaking hollows him out he's like a thanksgiving turkey there's not even giblets left in there anymore Mm -hmm. like he's got this giant hole in his front from one shot Mm -hmm. It blew uh, Mac's head off Mm -hmm. until it magically grew back. Still dead, but head magically back. It blew Dylan's arm off. Yeah. Arnold gets hit in the shoulder. And he's fine. He falls down. He's not feeling too good, right? Maybe he needs a little Robitussin or something, but he's... Some campopanique. He's a little wounded, <laughs> right? We're going to rub some uh, some Neosporin on there, but otherwise he's okay. It's a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't, I, it doesn't make sense to me. The other thing that doesn't make sense is that when he gets hit initially and he falls down and he's like, go, get to the chopper. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see a wound, right? You don't no, see he's a just kind of writhing on the ground. Later, you see where it looks like a bullet grooved him mm-hmm. on the shoulder, but that's it. So that's yeah. that's neither here nor there. It's I, I feel like that's a plot hole. I do. I, I don't see how he got shot with that shoulder cannon and it didn't take his arm off i mean it took apollo creed's arm off so it should take his arm off and um, also how the 
the hell did Anna know where to go? How did she know where the chopper was? Shit, I don't know. Maybe he gave her some Peter Pan directions, right? Like first started the right straight on till morning. She, who knows? She didn't have a compass. She didn't have a map. She wasn't part of the team. She didn't know where the evac was. She didn't know where the chopper was located. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he tells her go get to the chopper. So so now we're basically in our final act of the movie. Arnold is basically trying to get away and comes up on a cliff. And I I don't know how high that was. Do you know how high that was? So I think it was about 40 feet. Yeah. But interesting thing here, right? So if you watch the movie and you watch it really, really closely, really closely, like you're a nerd that should feel bad about themselves closely. Okay. I got no self-respect. You can tell it's a stunt double. The hair's too long. His hair's too long. The guy's sliding down the mountain because Arnold is never going to do that. His hair's too long. Well, he's the prize of our peace, isn't he? It's not Arnold sliding down that mountain. But Arnold did say that that water was cold as hell Mm -hmm. and so was the mud. And for the record, it was uh, Potter's mud. That's the reason it was really consistent in color and texture. Cakey and stuff. Yeah. And the dude froze to death. Apparently it gets cold as hell out there at night. So they were in southern Mexico in the the Oaxaca state, I think it's state. Um, But it's basically Guatemala, right? Really, really close to Central America. Yeah. Yeah. Really close to Guatemala. Uh, But apparently it got really cold there at night because they were still up in the mountains, even though it was in a in a, uh, a tropical climate. Yeah. Um, this is hard to, hard to believe considering you see them sweating their balls off for the majority of the movie. Yeah. Well, you know what? Having been to Honduras, I will tell you, it's really interesting about that is that you melt during the day. Yeah. You do. You just bathing in your own soup all day long. And then at night up there in those mountains, like if you sleep with a window open, you need a damn blanket mm-hmm. <laughs> because it does get it does get cold up there. But anyway, apparently Arnold froze to death the whole time they were shooting the last part of this. Uh-huh. Um, and props to him because apparently they would put him in, uh, get the mud on him and then put heat lamps on him mm-hmm. to try to keep him warm, but it didn't warm him up, but it dried the mud out. So they'd scrape it off, put it back on. Oh, right? that doesn't sound comfortable. So the glamorous life of a movie star, <laughs> I guess. But anyway, so he basically gets cornered to this cliff and has no choice but to jump off in order to evade the predator. So he falls this really freaking high waterfall, lands finally, and crawls out of the water onto a mud bank. Now, he kind of takes, he, he's going to take a Dutch moment here, just kind of breathe, collect himself, but oh wait, he can't because right behind him, we get a big splash and we, why are you shaking your head at me? I'm not. I'm just shaking my head at the whole, listen, <laughs> a seven foot tall, 500 pound thing falls into the water and it looks like a freaking cliff diver went in. Like there's almost no splash. Like yes, you see a splash, but Smith could have thrown a big rock down there. I don't feel like that effect was up to par. Uh, at any rate, I'd shit my pants, but that's just me. So yeah, Arnold is having the same thing. Like shit, 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 shit. And he starts trying to back up. There's a big fucking like falling over tree behind him. He starts backing up, trying to get a hold of what he can. Starts grabbing the branches around him. And we see the predator just walk on by. He's using his vi- his thermal vision and he's not picking anything up. He, there's a small critter that kind of goes by and the predator shoots at it. But he's not seeing Dutch. And Dutch finally puts it together. Hey, this mud kind of camouflaged me. So two things. Number one, predator vision sucks. Like we've seen it a few times up to this point. And that whole heat vision thing, I don't know how he became like the top predator or whatever, the apex predator, some kind of hunter. You can't see shit with that. That's number one. So it's no wonder that you couldn't see Dutch. Gee, he's stressed out and he's wearing his brown pants. <laughs> so if you'd figure out what movie that quote came from, let us know in the comments. Oh, come on. They're not stupid. <laughs> like where's Waldo for movie comments <laughs> in this. Anyway, uh, the next one is, so when he's targeting that log, right, the heat signature, right? Uh-huh. He's got it right on the heat source and he shoots, the log explodes and the thing runs away. How the hell did he miss that? He hasn't missed anything up to that point. How did he miss? I don't know. Clearly, he can't kill a womp rat. <laughs> he's just not up to par. 
So anyway, so the Predator moves on. He's continuing his search for Dutch and Dutch decides he's gonna take a minute, regroup, and we're gonna get another motherfucking montage. Okay, and this is a pretty damn awesome montage, okay? It's just impressive. I I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, you get, it, basically, it's just a bunch of manly shit. The, the stuff that sticks out to me, though, is that, number one, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger lost, like, 25 pounds for this movie. Not, not because of poor diet or anything like that. He lost it intentionally because a, uh, a special forces operator would not be as bulky as he was at uh-huh. the time in the late 80s. The dude was freaking massive. Right. So everybody put that in your mind right now. That's an Arnold that's 25 pounds smaller than he was normally walking around at that period in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it shows him like making his bow and shit like that. The dude's freaking huge. Like dude's freaking massive, even 25 pounds lighter. But you get to see him building traps. My best trap, my favorite one of all is the one where he ties pointy sticks to other sticks. <laughs> and you pair this with the beautiful Alan Silvestri score is just swelling. You know something's coming. You know something's coming. And then Arnold announces himself to the fucking world. Oh, yeah. That's the ultimate. I'm not going to. I don't want to say come at me, bro, but that's what it is. <laughs> Tarzan yeah, scream. Yeah, it's like. Ah, and it goes on for what feels like ever. Like, he must have had some great lungs. <laughs> dude's got some pipes. Even for a cigar smoker, dude's got some pipes. Yeah, I feel like the people up in the state should probably have heard that. <laughs> yeah, so the only other time I've ever seen a come at me, bro, better than that one, was Ash and the Evil Dead when he was like, who wants some? Who wants to have a little? That was Arnold. That's Yoshi what he was bitch. saying. That's what Arnold was saying. Who wants to have a little? Exactly. So at this point, we go what feels like an excruciating long time, but it's completely genius. But we go through this whole period where it's just cat and mouse for a long time. You keep waiting for one to find each other for what seems to go on forever. And Arnold's just kind of crawling under logs. At one point, he's he's hanging on under this log. So Arnold's doing the thing that they did in the beginning of the guerrilla camp assault. He's actually... Acting like what you would expect a special forces operator to do, right? They're fast, they're silent, they're deadly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like his guys go in and in the beginning, before we decide we can blow all this shit up, like they're taking people out, they're quiet, they're very professional. And that's what he's doing, which I just want to say, put it out there again, it just illustrates again how out of place that thing was. So whoever, I don't know, second unit directors probably have a hard job, but you, <laughs> you kind of fucked that up, DI. I'm just saying. Moving on. Moving on. Anyway, so yeah, we get, we get that for a while, just them kind of hunting each other. Where you know it's it's kind of kind of cool to see that the tables have turned and the hunters becoming the hunted, and you're just really just sitting there in anticipation, waiting to see how this is going to come to a head. Yeah, because at this point, the predator no longer has the advantage. Dutch has has figured out a way to neutralize the advantage. He's got his own camouflage. Exactly. So they're sneaking around. Well, rather Arnold sneaking around. The predator's hunting for him. Right? The predator knows he's there. He's looking for him. And Arnold has lit this bonfire, right? And he's put this pile of, I don't know what, because maybe I wasn't paying great attention. Um, but a pile of stuff on this log, like across the water. Predator gets close to it. And he pulls out his bow and arrow and he shoots it and it explodes. Um, and at that point, the predator appears to be maybe slightly injured, stunned, whatever. Arnold swings from a vine, full-blown Tarzan. But now the predator knows he is in the immediate vicinity. And he just starts kind of shooting everywhere with that shoulder cannon. So now... 
now it's now shit got real, mm-hmm. right? Now we're in the final showdown because mm-hmm. he's shooting stuff's blowing up everywhere. At one point, it looks like Arnold gets injured, right? Because he's holding his uh, his left side. Yeah. And uh, so we don't know if he's, he's shot some, or if he's got broken ribs. He's got some blood in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this: whatever the injury was, he took it like a man, <laughs> right? Because he like did all kinds of shit after that. And if he's got an injury that's so severe that it's causing internal bleeding, that dude's a badass. And it ends ends up with Arnold uh, falling into a pond and getting rid of all the mud, which sucks because that's basically his only element of surprise at this point and that's gone. So now the predator can see him and Arnold is trying again to sneak away and he ends up trying to crawl over this log. When he looks up, all of a sudden those arm blades come out and pin his head to the log. So what I find interesting about that is the predator lets him go. It doesn't actually let him go, but he pulls the blades back Uh because like even the predator is kind of wanting this showdown now and I realize I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot into something that they didn't say in the movie but the way it's scripted when he pulls his arm blade back to me that means the Predator's looking for a showdown. Yeah. Like Dutch is the last one standing the Predator wants this to be a thing. Yeah this is he like I said he has a code of honor and he wants this to be a very honorable man to man fight. We're not using weapons we're not using anything but just our skill as fighters as hunters. Yeah and then this is one of those where so if you've any, if you've watched any Arnold's movies leading up to this like even Hercules in New York okay you you know how strong Arnold is uh-huh. right you've seen how strong he is mm-hmm. as, as a real life person not just who they put him in the movies but as a real life person and then at this point you see him get slapped around like a little bitch yeah by I the mean predator. the predator lifts him up truly the size difference between yeah. these two men because Arnold's not a small guy he's like right. six one, six two. he and a little boy and you see him up against what was his name Kevin Peter Hall Kevin Peter Hall he's a huge freaking guy yeah he's like a serial crusher yeah or something. <laughs> like he's a big dude yep that's a movie quote and he like, just picks he, him up like he's nothing he's just throwing him around yeah and so you for me personally when i saw that i seriously started to doubt arnold's chances of coming out of this one on top yeah so now the predator decides that he's going to unmask and like i said leading up to this point we got little tidbits you know little crumbs of what he looks like just little bits here little bits here but now we get to see the predator in his full glory and i cannot give enough praise to stan winston and the design of this creature did i mention that originally they had uh made the predator to look like a bug you did very early he was on in a red suit yeah you did cast van damme you mentioned it who wants to see a damn predator run around doing the splits all the time i have no idea good choice stan winston props to you <laughs> you're a sick sick man but you do good work Anyway, but just, and I, and every time I, I, you know, this being my favorite film, I study it so much and I feel like every time I look at that design, I find something new, some little detail that, you know, it was from shading or Aaron Hairs or, you know, the mandibles. It's just, there's, there's all kinds of detail and it's just so much that you can't even find one thing to fixate on. There's just the amount of attention to detail that went into this is unreal, unprecedented for that time, I feel like. The thing that's out to me about the Predator is that I hate using this word. I hate using this word. You know I do. It's iconic. Yes. Nothing else looks like it. I just feel like it's an overused word. Yeah. People use that when they don't know what else to use. Right. 
But at this point, that's what it is. I don't, Nothing else is the Predator. I don't have any problem using the word he, iconic for this movie in particular. He created a character that is instantly recognizable. With this is the stuff mask, of nightmares. Without the mask, you know what it is. Yeah. And I don't know. This is probably one of the best character creations I've ever seen. Absolutely. Hands down. And Arnold kind of says what we're all thinking at this point. You're one ugly motherfucker. And Predator doesn't take too kindly to that. So he proceeds to smack him around some more. Oh, like a little bitch. <laughs> he just pimp slaps him all over the place. So we we get a little bit of back and forth for a little bit until Dutch manages to maneuver himself out of that situation. And he decides he's going to go for his traps. That's, that's what they were built for. That's what this has been leading to. So he goes over to, I guess, I guess it's behind the deadfall or just in front of it, something. Well, first he follows him into that cave. Yeah, that's right. He follows the blood into the cave. But at any rate, he ends up where his traps are and he starts, you know, he, he starts trying to bait himself. Like he's trying to get the Predator over there. Like, come on, kill me. Do it now. Like, I'm here. What are you waiting for? And Predator goes over and he starts to survey the area around him and very quickly sees that he's being set up. So the Predator is resourceful. He's intelligent. He's not stupid. And I can't understand why Dutch would for a second after all that he's been through in this what course of a couple of days think that he's going to be led so easily into this trap. So the predator's like, nah, fuck all this. And he turns around to find another way to Dutch. Yeah, the predator finds his pointy sticks that are tied to other sticks. And he's like, bitch, please. <laughs> I'll just walk around this and get you. But he's not as quite as smart as he thinks he is. So I'll be honest with you, I didn't understand that trap the first time I watched it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess I missed the part where he's running the vine across. So the idea is that he trips the deadfall and the vine that runs across the bottom of that little trench pulls the predator up into those spikes. Mm -hmm. And I guess I missed that the first time around because I'm like, shit, dude, what were you doing? Like, yeah. That's just stupid. You waste a lot of time and effort. Good job. Um, but at this point, he, he uses the... Basically, it's a counterweight, not a deadfall. Mm -hmm. It's the counterweight that was going to be used in this other trap mm -hmm. as the weapon itself. Right. So he ends up using this counterweight or deadfall to his advantage anyway. And he basically accordions the predator like he, he full on smashes him. You wouldn't think that there'd be anything left. So yeah, it should have totally squished him. Like it fell on him. And when you see, <laughs> I'm going to spoil it, the dummy that it fell on, like it bends it backwards. So this should be the end, but it's not. So yeah. Dutch is, he's kind of, again, taking a minute, kind of breathing, and he hears a creak again. He hears the log start to move. So he gets up, he goes over, and he stands over the predator. He sees that he's he's wounded. He's got green spew coming out of his mouth, and he's just like, what the hell are you? And what I always find very interesting about that scene is that the predator turns that back on him. What the hell are you? So my, I guess my only critique of that would be, is it the predator truly wondering, or is he just mimicking it back? Because I feel like he is. All you've seen him do up to this point is mimic the sounds that he's heard them make. And maybe he's trying to get an understanding. Like, there's probably a whole thing you could go into well, to try to analyze the Predator's motivations. I'm not trying to do that. For as but, long as the Predator's uh, been doing this, he's probably conquered a lot of civilizations, conquered a lot of people. Or I, at least collected a lot of trophies. Right. So I do believe at this point, yeah, he's asking what the hell are you? Because he probably hasn't experienced defeat. Well, you get the impression that everything he goes into is a life or death battle. Right. So you, this has to be the only time that he's lost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. 
that. But if he's seeking worthy adversaries, he's either going to win or he's going to die. Right. So up until now, he's won. Yeah. But I still wonder, what the hell are you? Is that a true question? Does the predator understand the words or is he just repeating back what he hears Dutch say? In my opinion, he's asking the question right back. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. That's what I like to think. And that would be fair. That'd be fair. Because at this point, I'd be wondering what the hell he was too. So now at this point, the predator's like, I, I'm going to head out. And he begins to set up the self-destruct, I don't know, compartment. I don't know what you call that thing. He's got like a wristband tactical nuke. Yeah. What kind Stra- of shit is that? Strapped to his, to his wrist. And he starts to set it off. And earlier in the film, he picked up a laugh that Billy had let out from one of Hawkins' stupid pussy jokes. And he had got that laugh and he played it back. And I don't know if that's the same laugh that's used here, but it sounds identical to Billy. Only there's like this weird Vincent price from thriller spin put on it and it's creepy as hell like that that laugh i would not want to hear that in the dark i'm just gonna tell you that no it was it was kind of a creepy laugh um i will say this in that instance like you see the whole thing arnold's a little slow on the uptake on that yeah it uh took dutch a little bit well it reads in their language though doesn't it i mean it's like glitz or something he was clearly counting down (laughs) yeah and it took dutch a minute to pick up on that but when he did he ran and you know props to dutch he cannot run a nuclear explosion. <laughs> Fucking good job, dude. <laughs> it, the mushroom cloud seemed a little big to really make that. But, you know, what did you say Arnold has? Peck armor? Not plot armor, but peck armor. He's got peck armor. <laughs> yeah, he's got peck armor So sure. he does manage to escape the explosion. And we come to our conclusion. Arnold is kind of standing amongst the wreckage, surveying the damage. Full Superman pose. Yeah, very. He's got his hands on his hips. Yeah. Like I came, I saw, I kicked its ass. Yeah. And our team picks him up, or, you know, our evac team. And piloting the ship is Kevin Peter Hall, the predator himself. And so that, I always think that's kind of a neat thing, you know, because the guy did such a tremendous job. Why not give him a little extra something? So then we're left with Anna and uh, Dutch sitting in the back of the helicopter and Dutch just looks wrecked. He looks like he needs a nap. Emotionally, physically, he just looks cracked. Like maybe he's considering his career choices after this. He's got that, what do they call it, the thousand yard stare? Yeah. But let's be honest, he lost his entire team. Yeah. They were the best, the best, the best, sir. With honors. With honors. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to stop quoting Men in Black anytime now. Please do. <laughs> and he lost them all. Yeah. They're all gone, right? Not just his unit, but Dylan, who he had history with before. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be fair to say that everybody, all his military friends yeah, are gone. Yeah, and I mean, you they were family. You but, got that sense that they were a family. So I, I don't know somebody that has his level of experience, because they kind of briefly mention things that maybe he, places he's been or things he's done or whatever up you know, through the movie, it's sort of sprinkled with no details, but this is not a guy who's a stranger to bad shit. Yeah. But he just lost his family. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's, he looks like he's in shock. Yeah. Sort of. And that, since we're, since we're at the end of the movie, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And this may be an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to say, I feel like acting wise, this was Arnold's best. Movie. Oh, absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong. I like Arnold movies. Hell, I even liked Hercules in New York and nobody likes that movie. <laughs> It's a fucking awful movie, but I like it anyway. Right. But as far as acting, execution, I think this is one of his best. Like Commando, Super Cheese, Terminator, the first one, his acting, uh, he did okay. He did, he did good for being better. a cyborg. 
Terminator 2. I would say that this that's, one was better. Yeah. Terminator Although to be fair, bad, Terminator 2 he did a better. tremendous job in it too. So the only one that I'd say in terms of acting execution gets close is is a movie called Maggie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's it's newer, like the last decade mm-hmm. or so. Um, so I have know. not seen that. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of a zombie flick, but it's not like an action zombie flick. Mm-hmm. But it's just him being like basically an old man. Yeah. And I think he does a good job. I think for his reputation as being over the top, I mean, because if you think about things like Total Recall, I mean, most of his movies are over the top. But he's not a bad actor by any means. And Predator just went to show the type of range he has because he could have played it completely off the cuff with the over the top stuff. And yes, he does get one liners, but there's also a depth there that I don't think he really brings to much else in his repertoire. So I feel like a lot of that, you're, you're, you're hundred percent correct, but I feel like a lot of it is the screenwriter's fault. Whoever writes the script, if they have Arnold in mind or they know he's on board, they write it a certain way mm-hmm. and they don't ever give him a chance to really exercise his chops. Right. Right. Like Maggie, clearly he's good. And Predator, I think that's seriously still one of his best performance as an actor. Yes. But I feel like a lot of those other movies... He's just an action star. Well, I said it earlier. They write him in as a barbarian brother. For those of you who don't know... Those were actors. It was a pair of twins. They were shitty fucking actors. <laughs> they just had big muscles. And that yeah. was their whole thing is that we're going to have big muscles and say, huh, on film. <laughs> right. Right. And I feel like they wrote a lot of the shit for him that way. Mm-hmm. But if you get a screenwriter, if you get a script that allows him to actually be an actor. So to be an actor with muscles instead of muscles with an actor parasite attached. Right. He's good. Yeah. He's good. Even, yeah. even the very last Terminator movie, mm-hmm. where he's like the old Terminator, mm-hmm. dude pulls it off. Yeah. Well, I mean, shit. Mm, I don't care what the critics say. It, well, I'm not a critic, but I even I know that that movie wasn't great. Was it, it wasn't great. Was I'm it better than some? Sure. Was it better than Conan the Barbarian? Yes, it was. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we're just splitting hairs here. <sighs> but anyway, so... We have reached the end of our movie and we roll right into credits. And the actors, this was kind of their way of saying thank you. And it's set to some very cheesy, I don't know. I don't know what you call that, but it, it's its the, the movie theme. But it's, yeah, it's just set to this very hokey. Everybody's smiling and acknowledging the camera and it just feels very full house. <laughs> so that was the whole point of those end credits. And when I first read the description of how that was, like I got the impression that they were supposed to be rolling those credits in reverse of how they died. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not how it is. Basically, those were specifically set up for all the actors who did die to acknowledge the audience. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason they all get a smile, right? Except for Arnold. Arnold's the only one who doesn't smile at the camera. He's the only one that didn't die. Right. Because if you'll also notice, the the general, General What's-His-Face, at the very beginning, he was on screen for about 30 seconds, total movie. He did not get credited at all, um, other than in uh, text. He didn't get a visual credit. And there's no picture. There's no nothing. Uh, I like the credits. The credits were good to me. Um, They're fun. They're a good time. The the one I like the most is Carl Weathers when he gets credited. That is the most Apollo Creed damn face expression. It just gets tossed his gun. Makes. And he's, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a very, hey. It's like a Fonzie I want you. I reaction. want you. <laughs> yeah, living in America. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fantastic. So, Travis, dear, final thoughts on Predator? Final thoughts on Predator. I think it's, I, you know, I like it. I like the movie. I'll watch it every time. 
you know, if if it's if it's a situation where we don't know what to watch and you're like, screw it, let's put on Predator, I'm gonna watch it. I will always say let's put if, on Predator. You know, it shows up on television somewhere and I'm I'm gonna watch it. It's just one of those that I don't really pass up. It's not that it's my favorite movie, but it's one I like. I like it because of the I don't know, it'd be hard to say that I don't just like it because of the one liners, because that's not really it. There's something intangible there that kind of draws me to that movie. Mm-hmm. Um I will say this. Most movies, most movies that you have me watch, at some point I'm gonna going to want to haul my phone out because I am not engaged with what's on there. All of you listeners are going to find that that's going to be a common theme in this podcast because we're going to do a lot of horror movies. We are the odd movie couple. Do not dig horror movies at all. I can't wait for the hate mail uh, (laughs) when we start doing some of the hardcore horror movies, especially the big three, because I got nothing good to say about most of them. But most movies that I watch, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to say, fuck it and pull out my phone, mm-hmm. or I'm going to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. One of those two things is going to happen. You can vouch for this. Yes, I have seen this on multiple occasions, you know, the, upon the 300th viewing of Hellraiser. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stay awake for the whole thing. Like, you'd think that there wouldn't be anything for me to look forward to in this movie, because I just, I've seen it so many times. I like it that much. And that's saying something, because I I'm not the huge movie buff that a lot of people are, but I'm going to leave my phone alone. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to wait with anticipation for my favorite parts, Mm -hmm. I guess. And that's the thing. It makes me want to watch it. So I I know we don't have a rating system really worked out. No, see... See, guys, we're not really reviewing these movies. We're we're just discussing. We're just bullshitting because we. Well, I I am a I I am a lover of all things film. Like that's that's my thing. And I have a very short list of what I consider to be my quote unicorn movies. And that's movies to me that are perfect. I can put them on no matter what, always be engaged, always find something new, and fall in love with it all over again. Now, as we go on, you'll figure out what unicorn status movies I have. But for now, the first one I'm putting on the list is Predator. It is my all-time favorite movie, not just of horror, not just of action, but of any genre. I mean, it, it, it fits so much, and it's such a perfectly executed film in the acting, the score, the special effects, the the setting. I mean, all of that is just so easily accessible and, and tangible that it just makes it such a rewarding movie experience. And that's why it is probably my favorite film of all time, bar none. And I know if you talk to most people, you know, on the subject of horror, you, they're going to give you the big three, primarily Halloween, not this girl. Halloween is not my jam at all. But you come at me with Predator, absolutely, I can talk your ear off about it for hours. Like, much like we've just sat and done. So yeah, we're not going to give it a rating, but I am going to say I love it. I love this film more more than anything. That's a tough review to follow, even though it's not really a review. Um, I like the movie. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, we're not going to really rate these things, but you sh- if you haven't seen it, go watch the damn movie. Please go watch it. Go if watch you, the movie. If you haven't, what the hell's taking Here's you so long? Deal. Even if you decide you hate it, it it's going to be one of two. You're either going to love this movie, you're going to like it the way we like it, well, the way she likes it, maybe not the <laughs> way I like it, or you're going to find basically infinite riff tracks material. It's going to be it's going to be somewhere in there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a movie worth watching. Yes. Right. So, it, and if nothing else, watch it as 
film history. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Watch it as film history. How much stuff came after this? Think about how many alien movies came after this. How many predator movies came after this? How many of the two combined came after this? And none of them have held a candle how to this first one. How many other movies just fucking ripped off of this movie? Mm-hmm. Like seriously. Even some of the sequels to Predator ripped off of Predator just I don't know how to describe it. Like, they, they tried to do it. They just sucked at it. They tried to capture the lightning um, in a bottle again, and it just didn't work. And it just does not there work. There are entries that it's I just... feel are still worthy, but clearly this is, it's the prototype. It's the best one. I mean, you can't. Yeah, and I'm not to say that there are others that aren't good, but this movie's worth a watch. It for sure is. Yes. Um we're not really doing reviews. We're not really rating it. But, I mean, if you think about it in Top Gear sense, for those of you who have ever watched Top Gear, um, this one's not Sub-Zero, but I would definitely put it in the fridge. <laughs> so if you never watch top, watch top Gear, then that makes no damn sense to you. Uh, if you ever watch Top Gear on BBC, it's in the fridge. It's a good movie. I'll watch it any anytime it comes on. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and bid you adieu. And for next week's episode, we are going to be covering the 1992 slapstick slasher zombie. I don't even know how to describe this movie because it's all over the place. It's bonkers. Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive. Goddamn, I don't know why you're making me do that. The movie's <laughs> awful. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> There's going to be some diverse opinions expressed on that review. So please join us. If nothing else, you'll get a laugh out of it. So that's it. That's the end. That's the the end of our podcast. That's all we got. So you can go home now. But wait, we got just a little bit more. Thank you for joining this week. And every week, we're going to call out our content creator of the week. Yeah, that sounds pretty kitschy, doesn't it? So this week, we're going to call out the folks at Podmortem. They're great people, let me just tell you. Uh, They do all kinds of horror movies. They do them scene by scene. They do great reviews, uh, healthy doses of trivia. You get comments. They're funny. So if you get a chance, check out Renee, John, Paul, and Travis. Not me, wrong <laughs> Travis, when they check out those movies. They do all kinds of stuff. Check them out. They get a great podcast. You can find them on multiple platforms. New episode every Monday. That's right. New episode every Monday. This so, week, I believe they're covering The Ring. So you should go check that out as soon as possible. Like everything Travis said, great group of people. They're, I'm proud to call them friends. And you should definitely check them out for all things horror related. All right. So that's it for us. Thanks for giving us a listen. And we'll see you next week. Adios. Bye. You have been listening to the Golden Mirror Podcast. Uh, $10 was...